episode. What, what, what's your name? Kelly Funkhauser. And you, what is your um, what is your title at Consumer Reports? So I kind of have two titles. I wear a bunch of hats. Program manager for vehicle usability testing. And then I'm also the head of connected and automated vehicles. Okay. So we don't like connectivity here. Okay. So we don't have to talk about that. All right. That's fine. That's good. You should hear. I heard her uh, start going off on some connected connected vehicle stuff. So uh, well, it went way over my head, but I was also really intrigued. So you're speaking here today as yourself, not as a representative of Consumer Reports, I assume? Sure. Yes. Okay. That, that's so better. Do you think that V2X or V2I is a good idea, A, and B, if so, that there is an optimal technology? Oh, you, you don't know what you're about to get yourself into. Okay. Uh-oh. Would you like me to answer? I already have a reputation. <laughs> would you like me to answer? I can go first if you like. Uh, sure. Let's hear it. Uh, the, my, my position would be no. Um, v to X, V to I are generally, even if they work at all at any time, a bad thing to rely on because if the vehicles cannot come to a safe stop without any external infrastructure, they're fundamentally flawed. That's just, that's me. That's okay. not any organization talking. Yeah. Because, you know, in, this, in the current political climate, funding for maintaining infrastructure is unlikely to be guaranteed in any timeline. And we can't let our society rely on external infrastructure. All right, Funkhauser, you're next. All right. Um, I think, yes, actually. I think that the redundant information that you can get from onboard sensors and connectivity could only be beneficial as long as it's done right. Um, and the second part of that question is, is there a, a superior technology? And, um, I can easily say that one of them is real and one of them, uh, will potentially be real, hopefully. Uh, so and the opposite of real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, DSRC dedicated short range communication, um, has been out for decades. It's simple walkie talkie type infrastructure, right? So your cars can talk to everyone around you without having to pay for your Sirius XM subscription or something like that. Um, it's just general radio that benefits the public in the mass immediately. And it's a very inexpensive technology. 5G, the hope and promises of 5G will be great if they ever come to fruition. Um, the 5G that a lot of cell phone providers are advertising right now isn't the same technology that we're hoping will be used for the automotive 5G technology, um, which doesn't really exist yet. And the companies and consortiums that are really pushing for the cellular-based technologies um, have a lot of promises, again, without having any independent validation or testing. It's hard to so believe So a barrel this. of lies and exaggerations Oh my and goodness, promises. you're, Those you're are going yours. hard. Okay. Uh, oh, this, um, is, this is how Alex does. Okay, yeah. So, so, so um, it's, it's good to look at uh, the EU. So the European Union has, um, and I was mentioning this yesterday, that they have asked for the technology to be given to them or shown to them, and they have yet to receive any uh, actual hardware in hand 
of the technology. And so they made a very public statement to your the, media the training consortium. is crazy good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, crazy good. This is the Atonicast. This isn't a press okay, conference. Okay. I mean, it, yeah. basically, um, right. Like, like this stuff hasn't been like the, the 5g, uh, CV to X has not been independently tested. Is correct. that a shot? Right. That's yeah. right. Right. That, which I found, you know, Surprising. Right. So they love, and, and I, um, my media training is good, but I also do like to publicly debate some of the original organi- organizers of the 5GA. And I've done this before with Qualcomm and others, since I guess we're calling people out here. Um, <laughs> and, and I've asked them for, for data and, you know, they, they love to say that they keep giving me data. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to manipulate showing half of a graph and half of it is missing when, you know, you want to make a statement and say something does something. Um, but, but I'm still anxiously awaiting the, the full truths instead of just the half truths that I think I'm getting. On a fundamental level though, I don't care even, even if they had a graph saying it does work, I'm still opposed to it. Not uh, just because, you know, systems go down weather, traffic, things happen. Autonomous vehicles need to be able to perform a minimum viable level of movement safely without any external infrastructure. Okay, but that's that's only one application. Of, that's the of only VDAX. one that I care about. Right, well, <laughs> like, so this is a good... The rest of it, I don't give a shit. Good, important information for people who are wondering where you're coming from on this. That's where I'm coming from. The, the, there's, I mean, there's, right, there's a lot of other applications to, to be Right, asked. right, right. I mean, you know, what the vehicle can see through the onboard sensors is phenomenal already. You, you can see in front of that semi-truck and that's in front of you. And, um, but the, what the promises of even DSRC um, can offer in terms of signal traffic maintenance and priority and being able to have that direct connectivity to change the traffic flow live um, those are some things that just onboard sensors can't quite do. Okay. Yeah, really quick, before we, before we move on though, I'm, I'm just curious, right? Like, like the SRC is dead. I thought like I've oh seen goodness. reports of, and, 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 and like connected to be fair, like, I mean, you know, people always lump connected and autonomous vehicle technology together. And I've really made I a point. Connectivity. I've really made a point of like not getting really into the connected stuff. Um, not because it's not interesting or there's not potential there, but like I've always felt like, you know, it's, it's been a good idea for 50 years uh, or maybe even, I mean, right. For a really long time. Um, and yet it just never, it's like hydrogen or something, right. It just has not ever seemed to, to happen. And it seems like, it's more almost like political problems than, than uh, purely technological problems. I don't know. I'm just curious what, what your take is on that kind of situation. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that it's become politicized um, when it's such a valuable life-saving technology. Um, it's really hard to argue that that should be politicized. Um, but that has a lot to do with you know sharing the spectrum with Wi-Fi and, and cellular DSRC, et cetera. But... Truly, DSRC isn't that old in terms of how it's being used in the applications today. So the spectrum was only dedicated, um, you know, not even two decades ago. And so after it was dedicated, then um, organizations and, and companies could go and start developing the technology to test it. So we're really actually just in the prime of the of the validation testing of the DSRC systems. And we're seeing that they work and they work really, really well. Um, and so it's unfortunate that it's politicized and um, the 
the competing technologies and the political arguments are really kind of hindering the advancements that we could be making on something that's already tested and proven. Yeah. Is that just because like different companies have placed bets and, and they just don't want to to go back on that in order to achieve a consensus? Um, so it's likely that DSRC isn't going to be a moneymaker. Mm. So it's going to cost. Funny states. how anyone <laughs> would be, a, would want to replace it with something else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so cellular, let's think about that. You know, one of the most valuable assets we have today is data. So if, if you have to connect over some sort of a cellular network or you have to pay some sort of a subscription to a service and then now the, you know, telecom network in your car and your subscriber all have access to your data. Well, talk about the 10 <laughs> things I don't want. Again, I don't care if 5G works perfectly. Is there anything worse than an OEM touching your data? They, they, they can't even make applications work when they don't touch your data. I mean, you see Riley, Bre you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, did you see last week uh, in Riley Brennan's newsletter, he had a, an, a story that was unexpected for him to use. It seemed like a small story about a guy in Denmark who owns like a tech company, has a BMW and went through the three years of his suffering, attempting to get any of the connected apps to work. Did you read that one? I actually didn't know. It was a sad tale. Yeah. Yeah. He said that there was no amount of money. Like even if they paid him, he would not ever use a BMW in dash app ever again, ever. Yeah. Well, and even, even Tesla, who is seen as like the leader in connected car application in the real world, like their stuff goes down all the time. And like, hey, whoa, you wait, no, whoa, this is, whoa there. You, when you say this go down, like the, the, right. Like people will be locked out of their cars if they don't have the key card. Like, well, okay. It happens whoa, whoa. with some regularity. Slow down. It's happened once no. in seven months. No, that's not true. Okay. It happened once to me. Okay. <laughs> It happened once to me See, in the right, last I, month or two also while I had frozen uh, groceries a, in yeah. the parking lot. Do you have a Tesla? Uh, we have, yes, a Tesla we right now. We consume reports. We consume reports, correct. I don't have a personal vehicle. Okay. Mm. It happened. Right. And, and so it's one of those things, right? Where like, yeah, it probably could go down quite a bit without a lot of people noticing Did it. Did Big Oil tell you to bring yeah, it back to Tesla? Right, right. <laughs> no. I, well, yeah, I, I wanted to move the conversation button. towards, towards <laughs> uh, let's, you know. Let's get right into it. Automated driving. I brought my key card. That solved the problem. Yeah. So my issue is I had the key card on me, mm -hmm. but it had been snapped. So there was a break in it and it must have been right where the chip is. And so the key card was not working so and I had been locked, locked out of my app. And then we had changed the password and I had to look up on the email with the new password. It, how was, did it you, was a whole big how thing. How did you snap the, the card? Uh, so it wasn't me. It definitely wasn't me. Um, <laughs> I'll blame someone else. Um, yeah. So I got the key card, you know, I was taking that car home for the day and uh, when it's in the shop, it's unlocked. And so I got in it. But then once I got to the grocery store, uh, that, now I was locked out. Since big oil is not paying me, <laughs> I will say something pro Tesla. Um, the use of such key cards eliminates the likelihood of someone cloning a traditional remote key fob. Mm, Edward? Yeah, no, that that is Funny definitely true. I mean, everything's everything's a, a trade off, right. and uh, I just I just think right, like the reliability of these systems is something that traditional OEMs care more about, right? Kind of <laughs> like with Tesla Screen, right? They optimize. Oh my for god, oil dripping! <laughs> just, just pour the oil. Let's let's switch gears here for a second. Let's. I love talking to Ed, but we rarely have someone who's worked at NASA. And has a doctorate in cognition 
and neuroscience. Okay. So both of those have caveats. Um, <laughs> so I, I worked on a contract, um, with NASA while I was a graduate research assistant. Wait, Ed, um, Ed has been confronted with oh. someone with actual education. Yeah. Above <laughs> hours. So he's leaving. Yeah. Where no, I have to, I have to go. Uh, my, my big oil paymasters are, are calling me. So <laughs> okay, book, um, on your book tour for a book that is the broccoli of reading. Yes. Um, in the automotive sector. Thank I just you. Got a, Chris. I got a copy of it today. I'm excited to read it. Uh, yeah. Enjoy your radio appearance. It's television, but thank Whatever. you. Whatever. We'll see you in a couple of hours. Good job. <laughs> Buy it. It's a great book, especially for the haters, because you should always be armed with the weapons of your enemy. I hear it's very easy to read and informative. It is. It, it's it greased by oil. <laughs> I'm not being paid by it either. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, all right, so, okay, so let's go back to the. Yeah, you the, worked at NASA. Um, I was working on a project in in grad school. Um, for NASA, it was contracted out by NASA. Um, so I didn't directly work for them. And then the other caveat is my PhD. I did not finish that. Um, I left for my amazing dream job at Consumer Reports and never finished. Well, that's okay because at least you started it. And it is, it is in cognition and neuroscience. Correct. So, which goes to the first part of your job at Consumer Reports, which is to talk about HMI in, in privately owned vehicles. Yep, exactly. All right, so you know a lot about Tesla Autopilot. I I do. I imagine that you've also spent some time using Cadillac Super Cruise. I have. Did you write the column recently that ranked five systems, including Pro, Nissan ProPilot and Volvo Pilot Assist? Yes, that was my first big project that uh, came out last fall. All right, so I'm really happy to meet you because I have used all those systems, and I've okay. written a lot about all those systems. Um, I'm trying to remember the details of the column, but uh, I don't know if you touched upon this in there. I, by the way, I agree. I, agree, I think I agree with your, your findings. I mean, pro pilot is just worthless. Um, and pilot assist is my problem. with pilot assist is the same thing. I problem I have actually with all the systems except Tesla, which is they have this two stage engagement process where you engage like a, a passive mode, it might be, it's on, but it's not engaged. Yes. And then it falls in and out of the engagement state. Yes. Yes. Oh, you're, you're, I have I already, I'm nodding because I okay. have been wanting to say this somewhere for a while. Okay, so, so here we it are, goes. We get here it. Goes. Yeah. So I um, have recently been really struggling with this two-step type of a process. I'm, I'm just reaching right, out are to we give fist her, bumping her now? fist bump. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. That just happened. Okay. So, so there's, um, a lot of issues that have been developed or starting to come around with the difference between lane keeping systems and lane centering systems. <laughs> yeah. you, and or, or you mean lane departure prevention? Yeah. Or Which whatever. is almost, that's a different tech, I, but yeah, they seriously, overlap. Seriously. One's steering, one's braking, one's when you get to the line, one's before, after whatever. Um, so, so I've recently been thinking a lot about this and um, to consumers, we have data that show they really don't understand the difference between systems that how do could, a good job at keeping you in the lane and, and not a, a not a good job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How could they? Why would you make a system that is not trying to keep you in the center lane yeah. when it seems like that's what it's trying to do? Yeah. Right. It's just really confusing. And it gets more confusing when there's a two step system. Right. So something is like, well, I turn on my lane keeping. But if I turn on this other button, it's lane centering, which yeah. is like, OK, so now it's doing it better? I don't, I don't quite know, especially when it comes to some of the newer systems. So I was just in um, one of the new 2020 
Subarus Mm -hmm. and they have a second button on their steering wheel. That is a (laughs) steering wheel, but icon, right? No, it isn't. So they have their lane keeping system that you can turn on through the menu and, you know, personalize it, but they have now this, the steering wheel one. You push that button and now it's supposed to do a better job at keeping you in the lane, I guess, because it's a different system. It's now I have both of them on and it's still not very good. But then you look at some other systems that perhaps also have two, two buttons, yeah. two controls, or some that only have one and maybe they do better. It's just really, really confusing. It's insanity. Uh, and it's, it's sad actually, because there are so many steps that are, are, there are so many suboptimal steps involved at each stage of the two stage system. Like even if you, so you want to engage some, each of the, each system has a different icon on the dash for when they're on for each stage. And then once they're on, they, they, some of the companies have like a situational awareness display in the center of the dash. Some don't. And the displays are usually quite small. And that makes me crazy. I used pilot assist one, the Volvo system when it first came out on an S 90 driving across Europe about three years ago. And I did not to say I did, I did not enjoy it. And I'm not sure I don't, it was neither convenient nor, it was neither more convenient nor safer. So it accomplished none of the things I wanted. So my question to you is, you've obviously spent lots of time with Tesla Autopilot. I feel as if, I'd like to hear from you. (laughs) She's smiling as I say it. And for all the Tesla fans that are listening, okay. um, What are the things you like about it? What are the things you don't like about it? Because it really exists in a class of its own, with its own set of pros and cons, utterly different from everyone else. Right. So, so first of all, I want to set the record straight and say that Tesla Autopilot isn't what I would call like the best performance or the mm-hmm. most capable system out there, even mm-hmm. though it's largely thought that it is. Um, there are many other systems out there that can do pretty much the same thing. Um, I, would love, I would like you to break down those sub-functionalities. Okay. That other companies do better, for example. Do better. Okay. So I can I can think of a few, but I'd like to hear yours. Okay. Let's let's start with the Tesla. So what I really like about the Tesla's autopilot system is the display. So like you were saying, some have these horrible little tiny displays. And then if you change what you're viewing, so now you're viewing your trip or mm-hmm. your fuel display, now you have very little to no um, driver assist type information. So it can go away. It's insulting. Yeah. So, so Tesla actually does a, a really good job at showing kind of what the car sees. It makes you a little more worried though, because the cars kind of start to dance around when you're all stopped at a stop sign or a, it a makes stop me feel little... actually less worried because I feel like the car is not perfect. I know it's not. Mm-hmm. Therefore I am being more vigilant. That's good. That's the way I see it. Good. Yeah. I hope that that's how other people see it as well. One would hope. Um, but most, most other cars don't show that level of detail. And that's actually really important to keep the driver actually engaged in the task, especially with a system that is, you know, fairly capable. Um, if the driver has this check so they can stay aware and, and see what the car is seeing and say, okay, does the car see this? And if it's on the screen, they say, okay, great. Now I have a little bit more confidence that the system is seeing this and going to do something about it. Or if it doesn't come up on the screen, then you have that double check of, okay, well, the car doesn't see this. I should maintain awareness. Um, and that's actually what pilots do with autopilot in aviation is that they aren't just sitting there sleeping. That's what a lot of people think when they're in autopilot, they're sleeping, but they're doing these types of checks of the system and it's very effective in keeping the driver engaged. But what 
Tesla Autopilot doesn't do as well is um, largely to do with uh, not letting drivers collaboratively steer with with the vehicle. So they um, have made this design decision where if you apply too much torque to the steering wheel, it shuts off the, the auto steer portion of autopilot. And this is really concerning because coming from a human factors and cognitive psychology background, you know, if you were to look at this on paper, it makes sense. Well, if, if the driver is trying to steer, let's just shut the system off because, you know, let's turn it off if they're, if, if they see something that's a problem. Um, but actually what ends up happening is it becomes an annoyance to keep turning the system back on. And so it's really easy to become complacent and get a little bit risky and let the car kind of, Oh, I'll just see if it does this. To be clear, for those who have never used Tesla and autopilot or any of these systems and correct me if I'm not stating this as you see it, that there, there are a few degrees of play in like, I know in super cruise, you have several degrees of play in Mercedes drive pilot. There's several degrees of play. So you can make corrections within the systems engagement state. Right. And, and I know that in a Tesla, if you, it's a very hard to, to torque against the, the wheel. It's very hard. This engagement can in fact, it's so hard that if you want to take over, but you want to stay in the lane, you almost can't keep your precise location. Yeah, it's very jerky. Yeah, it's very jerky. Yeah. And if yeah. you were, I found even last night, I was going about 75 miles an hour in a like a shallow turn on the interstate and the on autopilot and my Tesla was hugging a little too close to the left side of the lane near a concrete wall. And I wished it was like a little, it wasn't centering perfectly and I wanted it to be a little further to the right. And I had to take over. That was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I really didn't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if the, if it had allowed you to make that correction, but still stay engaged, then likely you would do that more often. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what you said is if you hadn't taken the wheel, you may have, uh, you know, said, well, I mean, yeah. it's done this kind of before I'll see. And then you yeah. kind of wait a little too long, which is a little scary. Yeah. I liked in super cruise, uh, one, I think I was able to complete an entire lane change while keeping the system engaged. Am, am I remembering that? Is that possible? Yeah. 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 So um, you can, it has the auto lane change now yeah. feature. Um, I, I don't trust auto lane change because no one has rear radar that's linked to it that I know of. Am I, am I wrong? Um, in the Tesla? It, I'm not aware of any vehicle current today that is a rear facing radar that is linked to, that is used as for a sensor input for lane changes. Um, there are a few out out there actually, really? and they're and they're tied to blind spot warning mostly. Okay, blind spot, yeah. but not lane change. Um, I don't know the technical details. Mm-hmm. I think that there might be a couple that are tied to the lane change, but there's very few that have the lane I know change. When the 2016 E Class Mercedes was released with the rear radar, that all these Tesla shorts, <laughs> you know, would be like, oh my god, it's finally here, a vehicle that can destroy Tesla and do a safe lane change. And then I get in the car, and the rear radar was not in any way connected to that uh, other than for the purpose of engaging what's called a pre-safe system. So if a collision is going to happen, it would tighten the belts and do like a sonic, like a, like a sound effect to protect your eardrums. Am I correct about that? Is that, is that not in your expertise? Like the, the sonar type yeah. of assist? Yeah. Well, no, it was used. So there was the impact noise of an impact can damage your eardrums. Oh, I so see. the rear radar would calculate the point, the time of impact and then put out act trigger a s- sound through the stereo system to, that was, I guess would protect your ears. Interesting. And that was part of the preset system. Priorities. Um, you know, I, uh, so, all right, so keep going. You, you don't, 
like that the Tesla does not allow right the collaborative play for steering, yeah, collaborative right? steering. because it almost um, you know tricks drivers into thinking that they're out of the loop. Not not the driver's fault. It's not the driver's fault. It's that how the system is designed is well. Okay, if the cars if the cars got this right, it's not wanting me to help it. Um, it's totally in control of the steering right now. Then that kind of makes people and drivers think that well, all right, so the system has this, I'm good. I can do something else, be distracted or get complacent, especially with, you know, a highly capable system that has done a good job a lot of the time, you know, many, many miles. Um, so that's that's a little frightening there. And I think that that is where they could improve the most. Um, and then second, they, along with almost every other manufacturer out there besides the Cadillac Super Cruise system, have this... Um, system of, of driver monitoring, they like to call it, right. um, where they're telling drivers, well, you got to apply torque to the steering wheel every arbitrary interval. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of play with that. Every update, it seems like it changes based on what speed you're going or whatever. Well, you know, what's funny about that is that I remember when Autopilot was released, that the interval was as long as 20 minutes. And in fact, with some tricking and, and bottles, 45 minutes to an hour, I've, and I was going doing bad stuff. I it was great. Um, and I've measured, I've approximately measured the, um, intervals, the hands off intervals. And as of this week in perfect conditions, my Tesla hands off interval is 24 seconds to the first warning, which is a, a visual, a, a very feeble <laughs> blue flashing in the top left quadrant of the model three display. And then 16 seconds later ish, you'll get a faster warning. And then beyond that, I forget the next interval is and it gets audible. Right. Um, have you observed different times? Um, I believe I have observed different times. I have a record when I was doing that, that article that you're talking about of what they were at that time. Mm -hmm. But again, it seems like they change frequently. Um, but in my opinion, it doesn't even matter what the interval is. It could be two hours. It could be two seconds, two minutes, because that's really not an effective way of monitoring if the driver's paying attention at all. Right. Um, so you believe in capacitive touch? Um, no, I don't think touch is the answer at all. Would, would you agree that it, it is better than a torque sensor? No, I wouldn't. I think that they're on the same playing field. So I can have my arm resting through the steering wheel, mm -hmm. through the little hole in the steering wheel. And oftentimes that's enough to, um, you know, when the steering wheel is turning on its own, cause it's doing the auto steer, um, and my arms way enough to trick the sensor into thinking that my, I'm applying steering. So now we're getting into your cognition PhD thesis. <laughs> right. So, so, and, and that would be the same for capacitive, right? So if my hand's touching it, then it, I could trick it easily. Um, and I could be asleep at the wheel. So, so, so going back to the super cruise, at least it's not a perfect system, but they're infrared eye tracker. So it's, you know, not collecting all of this personal data. It's just making sure you're not asleep. Right. All it's making sure is that your but eyes are, are open. Aren't they doing, uh, aren't they measuring head angle as well? Or is it just yes. eye tracking? So, so them and, and others, Subaru is an example. They're looking at, yeah, like your head angle and, you know, your whole, where it's facing. Um, do they and, do camera and, detection? Yeah. Yep. And so that's good. Again, not perfect. Um, none of the systems out there I think are perfect. I think it would, you know, maybe we'll get there. But, I mean, you got to make sure the drivers aren't asleep. Okay, so 
Cadillac uses the same machine system. What does Subaru use? Um, so they, I believe they're using infrared as well, but I'd have to fact check myself on that. The actual system itself, like the actual, Um, like measurement detection stuff, uh, who, I mean, are those seeing machines? There's, um, was AI, what the guys called those affectiva. Have you looked at, I mean, have you ever looked at the actual vendors underlying the systems or you just look at the systems? Um, so I've, I've been out to affectiva's. Um, office and they recently joined a, a research consortium that we're part of as well. So I've, I've talked to them pretty extensively um, and they are looking at head movement, et cetera, to detect where, where your head's looking and, and you know, frequency of movement and even emotion. So their big thing is emotion. Um, it was actually kind of funny. The first time I went out there, they were saying that, you know, they're going to be revolutionary because they'll, um, be able to change the music. You know, if you're really frustrated in traffic, they'll put on some classic music. And my boss and I, when we were leaving, we're like, the last thing I want is for it to, when I'm angry to change the radio to something that I really don't want. That's just going to make me more angry. Um, but I think they've evolved greatly since then. Um, and they're looking now as part of this research consortium as to how they can, you know, work with other things instead of changing the radio, but actually driver assist systems. So, all right. So, Camera is mandatory for a proper driver monitoring system, right? I would say so. Okay. And, but all, but it sounds like you're concerned about privacy. So it's a, it's a disconnected, <laughs> it's a sealed box DMS with a camera with a fixed set of algorithms measuring cognition through a combination of head angle and gaze tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, and I've, I've seen some startups that, claim to do a deeper level of cognition measurement. Um, you, I'm, I'm assuming you know a lot more about this than I do. Can you, can you talk about different methods of measuring or estimating cognition, like other different approaches once one crosses over the line into, we've all got cameras. Yeah. How do we, how do we measure cognition differently given cameras? So for sure, um, there are different methods of measuring that, Um, but some of the issues are, you know, invasiveness. So someone doesn't want to strap a heart rate monitor and Mm -hmm. a galvanic skin response monitor and uh, an EEG on your head. Um, every time you get into the car, it's not as practical as an eye tracker that's stationary. So that's why that's, you know, kind of the leading, at least solution right now. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of physiological metrics out there. Skin Um, temperature. So, so it'd be like a sweat response can show arousal. Um, other more deeper, um, methods of eye tracking, looking at your pupil dilation and things like that in your scanning pattern can help, uh, detect if you're actually paying attention and heart rate is one. That's one that I looked at when I was doing my master's. Um, can, can we, is it, I've, can you measure skin temperature or skin, uh, I don't know, by, by camera or by some other sensor? Does it have to be like a actual touch? Um, not that I'm aware of, and it, it's, it's not necessarily the temperature cause you can really easily trick that with like the HVAC system when it's running on your feet in your car. Um, it's looking at kind of a sweat response, which is an arousal response physio physiologically. So a thermal cam, like a FLIR camera interior would not be sufficient. I'm not sure that that would, again, I'm not an expert in that area, but, um, I don't think that that would get at what we want to, um, measure. Mm-hmm. There are some systems and startups out there 
trying to develop these EEGs, which are the electroencephalogram technology, looking at brain waves. And uh, they love to advertise with the flashy, you know, brain technology buzzwords and the pictures and the heat maps. They're always heat maps. Um, and uh, that's also really tricky because EEG itself is a very delicate and sensitive measurement and it has to be done by a very well-trained professional. And, Which is why lie detectors uh, don't, are not reliable. Lie detectors are a whole different story. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so so these claims that these um, EEG devices that can fasten to maybe the headrest in your car to make it less invasive, right? So you hop in and it's already there. Um, I'm very, very wary of the efficacy of those based on, you know, usually this this very delicate system is measuring direct skin contact. And now you're some distance away from this machine. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there that is, uh, I think smoke and mirrors, but we'll see. So one of the most interesting thing, uh, all right. So I totally agree with you. Um, I'm, I learned something today, which is, I feel it doesn't happen often. Huh. Um, Great. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Euro NCAP, these voluntary safety standards are, I soon, I think 2020, 2021 will require a driver monitoring system in order to get a five-star rating, which is the highest rating. Am, am I correct in that? Right. So, so in Europe, there are a lot of different standards than here in the U S um, some better like the driver monitoring and some worse, like, um, so it's actually out of the United Nations that the U S is not part of that created that, um, standard for you should touch the steering wheel every arbitrary number of seconds, which thank goodness we don't have here. Um, but yeah, driver monitoring as long as it's effective driver monitoring, like a camera, um, is great. Um, it's but, a great first step. But your NCAP or whomever over there is in charge of this, I have not seen them declare that a DMS would have to be camera based, but it it would seem obvious, right? So for effective driver monitoring, yes. And it's it's tricky because a lot of automakers right now are claiming that what they have of touching the steering wheel or um, you know, the coffee cup on the screen, the driver sway or fatigue yeah, it's, or drowsiness. It's that's not driver monitoring, right? So so that's looking at some of the behavior of the system or the car or the environment, but not the driver. So um I can't think of another way to actually measure the driver at this point in time. Um until, uh, uh, unless it's a camera. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. It's like, obviously Tesla, Tesla folks are trying to come in and argue with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so who is responsible at, at, for at NCAP for declaring a DMS has to have a camera? There must be someone for has to setting a, this standard. Do you know who it is? Um, so I'm not super familiar with all of the regulatory mm -hmm. hierarchy in, in Europe, um, but for the U.S., there would definitely need to be um, some government oversight, NHTSA or the DOT, mm -hmm. that would require that. Um, you know, we're hoping that automakers do it voluntarily, but, you know, without... Man, that's never going to happen. It's, I mean, it's like, they, we've had a lot of success with the... Um, automatic emergency braking voluntary agreement. So that isn't any official regulation um, to say that automakers need to have it on, but automakers have, you know, self, they volunteered to go ahead and put that on their vehicles as standard. So sometimes things can get achieved without regulation, but um, 
some things are a little bit harder to push, especially when they're expensive equipment. So, um, we, uh, running out of time, unfortunately, I'd like to talk to you about this all day. Uh, well, I find it really bizarre that these systems can be engaged any, any, that any semi-automation can be engaged, autopilot, supercruise, any of these systems. And um, in the event that a driver's cognition is falling below a certain threshold, maybe it's touch, torque, camera, whatever, the systems disengage. In, a, in another world, logically, the systems might be off and turn on when the driver's cognition falls. You're hit. Oh my goodness. You could, these words have come out of my mouth too. So they've got it all backwards, right? Exactly. These are supposed to be driver assist systems. Um, and it's, it's really confusing when the system is trying to do something for you that you can do better yourself. Um, and there's no real reward of that either. Right. So you turn on a system like lane departure warning and it's not really doing anything to help you except yelling at you like a nanny. Right. Um, so why would I want to ever use that? Um, but knowing the driver's intent, especially through driver monitoring type cameras. So if you had a camera that was looking at the driver and can clearly see that the driver is intentionally steering out of the lane to go around a pothole or a cyclist, um, don't yell at me, right? Yeah, like that's use exactly that when, to help me instead yeah. of nanny me. Yeah. And like you said, um, you know, they turn off if you aren't paying attention or you ignore those warnings, those arbitrary warnings. Um, it's literally like telling a child who's got training wheels as they're falling, we're moving the training wheels. You got it. So, um, you know, recently my boss gave me this great story about, um, he was on a road trip with his kids and so he wanted to take his jacket off. And so he's, you know, going down the highway and he asks his son to, you know, reach his hand over and, and make <laughs> sure the, the wheel. wheel is, is staying centered, you know, cause that's when he needed it. He needed that help of someone at that time, but he doesn't need it all the time when he can do it better. Um, and that, that's what the systems aren't really doing right now. No, they're conceptually, like from the, from inception, they're conceptually 180 from where they need to be. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a bizarre world. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we, but with that, <laughs> thank you so much for coming and talk. I, I'd love to have you come back Thanks and talk some more me. about this stuff. Um, it's great to hear someone who knows more than I do about this confirm my deepest fears. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We want to learn more about you. Um, inside or outside consumer reports. Are you on Twitter? Where, where do we find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, at CR cars, K funk. Um, that's K F U N K. Um, and yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as well. If you want you know, I know you were pulling my <laughs> school records and everything up there, my CV. So, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter is the best place to find me. Well, thank you very much. And as always, I'm Alex Roy, 144 on all platforms. And you can find me at thedrive.com. Um, and uh, Ed Niedermeyer's not here, uh, but he's Tweetermeyer. And Kirsten Korosek, also not here. She's Kirsten. I can't remember. We'll have to edit it in later. 